I want to start our time of study today by reading from Exodus chapter 25. We have looked at it in the past. I use it just as a launching spot today. Exodus 25. And we'll read just a few verses to remind us of God's great promise to us. And then we will look at the fulfillment of that promise as revealed to us in Scripture. Exodus 25, I'll begin reading with verse number 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Now when God first created the earth and all that in it is, He came down and dwelt with man. He dwelt with Adam and Eve and He walked with them and He talked with them. And they fellowshiped with Him and they had intimate fellowship with Him. And then Adam and Eve sinned and God banished them from the garden temple and they no longer enjoyed that intimate fellowship that they had in the garden. God made them a promise and said, I will, however, bring to you the seed of a woman who will crush the head of the serpent, who will provide for you. Over time, God proved his faithfulness and he called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. And he made a covenant and a promise with Abram and said, Through you I will bless all nations. Through you will come the seed who will curse, who will crush the head of the serpent. Over 400 years later he brought the children of Abraham, the children of Israel, out of Egypt to head to the promised land that he had promised to Abraham when he called him. When he met with them at Mount Sinai, he made them promises and he made a covenant with them. And he told them that if you will obey me, I will make you a great nation. And I will bless all of the nations of the earth because of you and through you. Thus reaffirming and confirming with them the seed of Abraham the promise that he gave to Abraham when he first called him. During that time he gave that promise that I just read from Exodus 25. He had given to Moses the law and now he would describe the tabernacle that he would have them build as a place of dwelling for him. The first time since the garden in Eden that God would come down and dwell with them and he designed for them a tabernacle and he said I will dwell with you 
there. We read the reference here in Exodus 25 where God spoke through Moses and Moses to the people now bring all of the various jewels and fabrics that we will need to build this tabernacle and when we build it God has promised to come and dwell with us. To manifest His presence here among us, His people. The very last chapter of Exodus provides for us the conclusion of that promise. I'd like to read that for you because it describes for us a very vivid occurrence when God came down and dwelled with them as He promised. Exodus chapter 40, it's the very last chapter in the book of Exodus, we read, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting. They'd assembled all the merchandise, they'd assembled all the jewels and the fabrics, and they had made them exactly according to the pattern that God had given through Moses. And now it came time to put it up, to set up the tent. And you shall put it, put in the ark of the testimony. And you shall screen the ark with the veil. And down through chapter 40, it describes how they were to set up the tabernacle. And the process that they should follow in doing that. And then as we reach towards the end of the chapter, we read God instructing Moses to take the priests into the tabernacle and to consecrate them for their service to God in the tabernacle and on behalf of the people. And we read starting in verse number 32, it says, And they went into the tent of meeting, and when they approached the altar, they washed, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the screen of the gate of the court, So Moses finished the work. The tabernacle is all set up. It's all set. The priests have been consecrated and washed. And now we read the following. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God had shown himself on their progress through the wilderness into the promised land by a a cloud, a pillar by day and a pillar of fire by night to direct them. But that was kind of in the horizon. Here it came right down and dwelt with them came down upon the tabernacle so it was right in their vision in their line of vision and right there where they could see it and the awesomeness of God's glory and his presence so filled the tabernacle that Moses couldn't even enter he had just come out of there he and the priest had just entered in washed and and came out of the tabernacle but the presence of God so filled that tabernacle that they could not go back into the tabernacle. The glorious, manifest presence of God 
dwelling in the tabernacle just like he had promised that we read earlier. Coming down to dwell with them so that they could have a conscious awareness of his presence among them in the center of all of their tribes where they all could see it, where they could all be consciously aware of his presence. Well, as you know, as they entered into the promised land, the many years came and went. They still had the tabernacle. God still revealed himself there at the tabernacle. But there came a day when David, the great king of Israel, said it isn't right that I should have a beautiful palace and a beautiful home and God dwell in a tent. My home has cedar and gold. That's not right. God should have a dwelling place permanent like mine. So he set about to build the temple. And God said, no, David, it shouldn't be you. I want your son, Solomon, to build the temple. Well, David said, the least I can do is I can be part of it. I can encourage the people to give. And I will give out of my own possessions materials to be used in the building of the temple so that when my son begins the construction, he will have the necessary resources to fulfill it. Solomon built the temple. The time from what we read just a moment ago in Exodus 40 of God coming down upon the tabernacle till the time of the temple was almost 500 years. Solomon built the temple. It took him seven years to build the temple. Finally the day came when they would open the doors and have the grand opening of the temple. And we read about that in Second Chronicles chapter 5. I'll just read a, a couple of verses from there that describes that great day when they erected and opened for use the temple of God. We read in Second Chronicles chapter 5. It says this, Thus all the work that Solomon did for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated and stored the silver, the gold, and all the vessels and the treasuries of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled before the king at the feast that is in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. And they brought up the ark, the tent of meeting, and the holy vessels that were in the tent. The Levitical priests brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark, so the cherubim made a covering over the ark and its poles. 
And the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses put there in Horeb. There the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Just spoke about that. Solomon reminds the people of that day. Remember what God said to do? Remember how he said and described the construction of the tabernacle which we have used all of these many years? And now we've taken that ark that he described where he would reside, where his presence would reside over that ark. We've taken it out of the tabernacle, the tent, and now we've brought it into the temple and we've put it in the same private spot as it was in the tabernacle. And when the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were the trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison and praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments and praise to the Lord, wasn't that a gala event? Oh my, the trumpets and the chorus and the singing and the sacrificing of the multitude of animals, too many to count. Well, the best is yet to come. Praise the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister before because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. And then we read how Solomon prayed in chapter 6, a prayer of dedication for the temple, and prayed God's blessing upon it. And they wanted to do the sacrifices outside the temple. And it says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And thus God filled the temple, made His presence manifest, so that they consciously knew His presence there. After about 400 years, the presence of God left, departed from the temple. The sin of Israel became so flagrant, so frequent, and their rejection of the prophets who came to warn them and to remind them of the promises that they had made to God back at Mount Horeb, and they rejected them all, God left. 
He withdrew his glory, his presence, from the temple. Over 400 years passed. No presence. No glory. No manifestation of God. No conscious awareness of his presence among them as a people. No voice from God. Then Jesus came. Then it tells us, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them who were under the law. Jesus came. And in the coming of Jesus, we find God finally fulfilling the promise that he made to Adam and Eve back in the garden in Eden. And we find God once again residing with people. For we see that although God made Adam and Eve originally in his image, they sinned and they lost that godness about them. They became totally depraved in their ways. That depravity has fallen upon us as well. But here, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, came inhabiting human flesh like yours and like mine. God in the flesh, far different from Adam and Eve. Now God, very God, the totality of God, the express image of God, taking upon himself human flesh recreating man in God's image now of a far greater character than the original creation of Adam and Eve now God possessing human flesh and we read the description that is given of the Lord Jesus he said I we beheld his glory this word became flesh and dwelt among us Some of you in your translations, if you were to read it, that word dwelt among us literally means tabernacled, tented among us. So not only did human flesh now have God in the person of Jesus Christ, but he became the temple. The garden temple which began in Eden progressed to the tabernacle, progressed to the temple now became a person. The Lord Jesus himself became the temple. And he called himself the temple. And he made aware to them that there would come a day in his ministry and in his life when he said, you will destroy this temple, but in three days I will raise it up again. And this he spoke of his body. Before the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave a promise. And he promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, who would come and indwell us. And he said that he would come together with the Father, and the Spirit would come and indwell those who loved him, and would obey his commandments. And we find on the day of Pentecost that that promise came true. The Spirit of God came down upon people and inhabited those early believers on the day of Pentecost. So now we have people like you and like me inhabited by God 
by the Spirit. We now have become tabernacles. We now have become temples. Those of us who love God, those of us who obey His commands, those of us who worship Him, those of us who trust Him, we have the Spirit of God living within us. The Scriptures call us temples. Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And that He lives within you? And as we gather together as fellow believers fellow followers of Christ as we come together we become a living temple of another kind oh not the sanctuary the building in which we meet doesn't become a temple but we as fellow believers as we gather together become a living temple The temple, the residence, the dwelling place of God, meeting among us, fellowshipping with us, making His presence known to us. God fulfilling His promise. At the consummation of all things, we read in Revelation chapter 21 that we read the description that John gave of the temple coming down out of heaven. And it tells us in Revelation 21, verse number 22, that that temple is none other than the Father and the Lamb. The temple, now in its fullest completion, coming down to reside among men on a new heaven and a new earth. God fulfilling the totality of his plan and purpose for men. Why did God move upon Moses and the prophets and the writers of the Gospels and John in the Revelation? Why did he move upon them to provide for us these messages and for those people and the children of Israel and those first century believers why did he do that he wanted to reveal to them his plan and purpose life did not move in a chaotic fashion or in a whimsical fashion but progressively according to God's plan and purpose He wanted them to know that purpose and that plan. And he revealed it to them. He described it to them so they would know it and recognize it. And then he provided it for them to encourage them. Those same truths have significance for us today, don't they? For we need to know God's plan and purpose for us and for his creation. And we need to see that God, a faithful God, has made provision for men and for women, for people like you and like me. And it is all fulfilled in His Son, Jesus. And that someday will ultimately arrive at its consummation. It will encourage us. Oh yes, it will do that. But it will also remind us of our responsibility our responsibility to love God and to worship Him, to obey Him, 
to turn from our self-righteousness and to trust Him. Because of the significance of these truths upon our lives, therefore we must conform our lives to the truth. We must repent and turn from our sin and trust His provision made for sinners like you and like me, Jesus, His Son. And cast all of our trust and confidence upon Him. Not upon ourselves, our own self-righteousness, our own self-abilities. But upon Jesus. Trusting Him. That what He accomplished in His life and in His death and His resurrection would prove effective for us as well. I call upon you today to trust Him. Turn to Him. Turn from reliance upon yourself to full rest and confidence upon Jesus. Resting upon His indwelling Spirit to enable you to fulfill the responsibilities that He has given to us as His followers to share the good news of Jesus and to spread it throughout all the earth so that God's glory might not just reside with us but flow to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And one day we will all gather together as children and Christ followers and believers in Christ and worship Him together from all the earth. I pray that the Spirit of God will bring those truths into your heart and life today and make them effective in your daily walk with Him. Let's close with a word of prayer.